0: We're getting another earthquake. We're getting another real shaker. This old guard is a bouncing around like
1: a ham on a hook. Everything in the world uh, around these people suddenly started spasming, and people tried to walk and found that their knees were being pushed up to their chins or they were being pushed over. Just as I got out
0: the window, I saw the... The flight tower, just, it just cracked together like a piece of match,
1: Just in seconds collapse it collapsed more or less. Buildings were plummeting down into these crevasses that it were opening underneath them.
0: All electricians and plumbers at Fort Richardson, please go to building 700 immediately. The strongest earthquake ever recorded in North America hit Alaska on Good Friday, March 27th, in 1964, and worst struck was the city of Anchorage. Let's go back to 1964, and to that bustling city of then 100,000 people.
1: You know, this was only five years after Alaska had become a state. That gave permission in a sense to a lot of people in the lower 48 to uh, go up there and and look for opportunities up there it suddenly felt a little bit safer Um, and really the only place in Alaska at that point that would probably have even registered as as a city you know it had a a 14-story hotel that it was very proud of and it was just really a place that was a community that was just first starting to get up on its on its feet and and feel really good about itself.
0: That's author and journalist John Muallam, who spent years researching the Great Alaskan earthquake. So John, it's good Friday. It has been a beautiful day. It's the end of a week and the sun is just setting. And then what happens?
1: You know, in the book I tell this that that part of the story through the the eyes of a, a, a mother uh, with her with her son driving to do an errand downtown. Her name was Jeannie Chance. She was a, uh, a part-time radio reporter, and she was uh, just coming to a stoplight at at five thirty-six uh, p.m. that that Friday, and uh, as soon as she put her foot on the brake, the car started bucking, uh, just you know, kind of jolting her. And she assumed she'd she'd uh, blown a tire, and then uh, slowly she began to look around and see. You know, the motion kept going, and she thought, "Oh, maybe it's just a really strong wind." And then finally, she looked to her left and saw. Uh, a line of parked cars leap hopping toward one another and crunching together and then hopping back away and expanding again she compared it to to a grotesque accordion in the cook inlet there were um, ice flows that were being sloshed around like uh, giant bath toys Uh, cracks in the streets were opening buildings were plummeting down into these crevasses that were opening underneath them Uh, It was an incredibly disorienting experience. You know, I've read probably hundreds of individual accounts of the quake. And, uh, you know, one thing that really sticks with me is uh, just how long it took people to even find the word earthquake to, you know, in their minds to latch onto in order to explain uh, this very confusing and and surreal activity that was happening all around them.
0: So, John, initially, people didn't think that this actually was an earthquake.
1: Yeah, it was... um, you know astonishingly confusing at first and some thought that it was nuclear war uh, that the Soviet Union was, uh, you know, finally lobbing uh, warheads. Um, some people uh, went a more religious angle and thought that this was, uh, you know, the end times. And uh, you know, one guy who was a teenager at the time uh, remembers a, a woman walking by him as he clung to a parking meter, yelling that he should repent. Wow. And I think very quickly there were, you know, there were people recognizing that this disaster. Uh, was essentially knocking down this, this piece of civilization that they'd been uh, so fervently building. An important thing to realize about this earthquake is that it went on in Anchorage at least for about four and a half minutes, um, which is just an incredible amount of time. I mean if you've ever sat, if you could sit in and time four and a half minutes it would really it would really be driven home one way I've been explaining it. is if you started that Stevie Wonder song, I just called to say I love you when the earthquake started, the song would uh, finish and then you'd still have 10 more seconds of uh, earthquake to go. Calls for help started
0: to go out straight away on shortwave radio from the local Navy base and from amateur ham radio operators. We're getting another earthquake. We're getting another real shaker. But there was one voice that emerged from the crackling airwaves that would become the voice that held it all together over the next few days and provide a vital public service in the rescue operations. A message to Kenneth Sadler. Mrs. Sadler is fine. Kenneth Sadler is out in the bush and listens on a transistor radio. Mrs. Sadler is fine. A message to Walter Hart at Kenai. A message to Walter Hart at Kenai. Lee Hart is fine. Jim Murphy and Bill Somerville at Point Hope. Your families are A-OK. Mr. and Mrs. R. W. Fisher have uh, lost their children. They can't find them. Mr. and Mrs. Fisher are at the home of Charles Ball.
1: That voice was of a woman called Jeannie Chance. Jeannie was a part-time radio uh, news reporter at a station in Anchorage called KENI. Uh, She was also a working mother. She had three relatively small children at home. And uh, she was really representative of... uh, A type of uh, person, her family was representative of a type of family that had come to Alaska right after statehood, uh, seeking better opportunities. They'd been quite poor in Texas and struggling. Her husband had been struggling with work. And so they decamped for Alaska to kind of explore this new world, as she called it. She really forged herself into a you know very gutsy roving reporter in in Anchorage she was not content with what was expected of women in broadcasting at the time which was to have a show about uh, you know swapping recipes or fashion or homemaking <laughs> yeah. and she became this uh, very intrepid news reporter where she would drive around all day uh, reporting on what was happening in town with a little radio unit in her, in her car and uh, within seconds of the shaking stopping she knew immediately that uh, she was supposed to be gathering facts about this quake. Uh, So in a sense, she hustled around downtown uh, doing a a tour of the damage of some of what turned out to be some of the hardest hit areas of Anchorage.
0: How many people in the uh, area there managed to escape and assist in the rescue operations at International Airport? I think uh, in the flight tower, these were the only really injured people. The rest of them were able to run
1: out somewhere. And then and wound the up other. at the city so, police station and wound up being people conscripted people as a kind of public information officer uh, for the city. where So she would spend the next almost three days straight in that building passing messages from individual people in anchorage who were looking for family members or couldn't find their children or wanted to let you know other family members know that they themselves were okay Uh, in a sense she became a voice uh, of the city amplifying uh, all of this information and all of these pleas for help uh, across town over over the radio your relatives in anchorage are all right signed bill and alice bowens
0: when you hear that audio now, John, of Jeannie going out across the airwaves over destroyed Anchorage, what do you think when you hear her voice?
1: It's a little bit of a hard thing to explain, honestly, because, um, you know, you can hear she's obviously, you know, she's she's not... Um, you know, smooth and and unflappable. She's obviously very um, distressed and at times confused and just trying to keep up with what's happening around her and and do the best that she can. And It's very human in in that way.
0: They need everybody to turn the power off. We don't want any drainage when they kick these... uh, uh... On the line, and give the city an opportunity
1: there was a, a, a neighbor of Jeannie's who I spoke to who, who remembers phone. listening to her on the, the air that night very clearly. And she said, you know, the interesting thing was that a lot of what she was reporting, it, it wasn't very comforting. It was about this building had fallen down or there was a landslide here and we don't know how many people are missing. And yet she said in, in, in the midst of that kind of blindness and, and disarray, information is a form of comfort. And there was something reassuring about just hearing a familiar voice, a voice that you were accustomed to hearing every day anyway on the radio, now talking to you and uh, saying, you know, here's what we know, here's what we know right
0: now. We also have a request that all employees, all line personnel report to work as soon as possible. John, how did this disaster change the fabric of the city of Anchorage and its people?
1: That's a great question. The, the, absolutely. There was a very pronounced feeling in town that the disaster had really uh, brought everyone closer together. There was a, a real feeling of togetherness, a feeling almost of, of, of joy. It's, it's, not un, it's not an exaggeration to say there was a joyousness in the, in the community in the days after the disaster. There was just a feeling in, in Anchorage that people had worked together to get out from under this unimaginable uh, upheaval.
0: When you listen to Jeannie's broadcast, do you have a favorite moment or a moment that really touches you?
1: Yeah, I do. There's a so there was a, a moment, uh, you know, it's late, late on Friday. night. I guess by that time, it's Saturday morning. So it's about maybe set, uh, nine or 10 hours after the earthquake. And she's only just learned that this broadcast that they weren't even really sure was going to be heard all around Anchorage at that point has actually been bounced to a sister station in Fairbanks and from there uh, some of what they're saying is, is finding its way down to the lower 48 and uh, she's repeating all these, relaying all these messages. And it suddenly occurs to her that she should probably uh, send a message to her own parents uh, down in Texas. Almost as an afterthought, she she's, you know, gives her father's name and, and uh, spells it and asks if anyone's listening, could they place a collect call and let them know that you know, all five members of, of the Chance family are all right and no one's received a scratch. And get the word to my family in Bonham,
0: Texas, that the Chance family family is all right. I'll appreciate this if the message can get to Texas, for I know that my family, as well as everybody else's, is
1: very concerned over the safety of their loved ones up here.
0: Jeannie's parents down in Texas were inundated with calls from strangers, telling them that she and her family were okay, and that none of them had received a scratch. We have another message here to Ansel Westgate. 131 people died in the Great Alaskan Earthquake and along with the rescue workers of the city Jeannie Chance went on to become the unlikely hero of the disaster offering hope, courage and comfort to the lost, confused and scared community of Anchorage Jeannie went on to have a career in state politics and in her 60s was struck with dementia and on the day she died in the late 90s Alaska ordered that flags be flown at half mast. But her voice is now immortalized as it went out over the airwaves that Easter weekend in Alaska in 1964.